Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 36. Listen again for God's holy word here as we listen to an exchange between an expert in the law and Jesus. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God around us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. And it came to pass in the first year of the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt, in the third month, on the sixteenth day of the month, that God spoke to Moses, saying, Come up to me on the mount, and I will give you two tablets of stone of the law and the commandment, which I have written. This is arguably one of the most iconic scenes in Scripture. When Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, receives the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. But you won't find the verses that I just read in the book of Exodus, or anywhere in the Bible for that matter. They're actually from the book of Jubilees, another ancient Jewish text written more than 2,000 years ago. Jubilees begins with these verses I just read. In fact, the entire first chapter is uh, recounts the story of God giving the commandments to Moses. And then in the second chapter of Jubilees, an angel recounts God's creation of the universe, instructing Moses to write it down. It roughly parallels the familiar creation account in Genesis chapter 1, that is, until you get to the sixth day of creation. Have you ever wondered what God did on the seventh day, on that first Sabbath, when God rested from the work of creation, what did God do? Well, listen for the angel's answer in Jubilee. And God finished all his work on the sixth day, all that is in the heavens and on the earth, and he gave us a great sign, the Sabbath day, that we should work six days but keep Sabbath on the seventh day from all work. And all the angels, God hath bidden us to keep the Sabbath with him in heaven and on earth. And God said to the angels, Behold, I will separate unto myself a people from among all the peoples, and these people shall keep the Sabbath day together with us. And thus God created therein a sign in accordance with which they should keep the Sabbath with us on the seventh day, to eat and to drink, and to bless God who created all things. I know that's a lot of old English, but I hope you caught it. 
In the Genesis account that we're familiar with, we hear that God rested, but we really get no clue as to what that day of rest looked like. We wonder, did God take a nap? Did God play solitaire? The book of Jubilees at least gives us a partial answer by revealing that God isn't resting all alone. God is keeping the Sabbath in company with the angels. And God says that the people have been created to keep Sabbath together with God too. Judith Shulevitz, the author of The Sabbath World, Glimpses of a Different Order of Time, writes that even though we associate the Sabbath with solitude, by common consensus, the day is all about getting connected. It's the ancient equivalent of social networking software, she writes. With its laws proscribing work and mandating social encounters, meals, gathering, and study sessions, the Sabbath blocks out time for shedding one's professional or workday identity and weaving the bonds of a collective identity. In other words, Sabbath is all about relationships. This book I just quoted, The Sabbath World, is the same book that we'll be reading together with Anche Hesed Fairmount Temple over the next couple of months. We'll gather twice to worship together and to discuss the book, first at their synagogue on Tuesday, October 24th, and then here at Fairmount on November 14th. And we've already got about 25 people from our two congregations signed up, and I'd encourage you to add your name to the list if you're interested. I'll be co-leading those discussions with my friend and colleague, Rabbi Josh Caruso from Fairmount Temple. And Rabbi Caruso and I met up on Friday, a couple days ago, to plan the first gathering, and we ended up talking for more than an hour about Sabbath. See, I can't get enough of this stuff. And while both of our faith traditions claim Sabbath as a spiritual practice, I think the reality is that most Jews have a stronger sense of the meaning of Sabbath within their faith than we Christians do for ours. So why is that? Well, I think it's a long story, but bear with me as I try to recap more than 3,000 years of Sabbath history in three minutes. Thousands of years ago, the Jewish people began practicing a set of commandments from God. And among them was a commandment to keep the Sabbath, one day a week that was set aside to cease their daily labors in order to rest in God's grace. Century after century, Jews handed down their Sabbath traditions from one generation to the next. Fast forward centuries later to the life of Jesus, a Jew who himself observed the Sabbath and who taught his followers to adhere to a generous interpretation of the Sabbath law, one that prioritized love of God and neighbor. After Jesus' life and death, Jewish and Christian interpretation and practice of Sabbath diverged quite rapidly and significantly. In post-Temple Judaism, this is after the destruction of the Second Temple in the first century, Rabbis took the lead on codifying Sabbath practices. Within a couple of centuries after Jesus' death, rabbis had written more than 250 pages in the Talmud 
on how to practice Sabbath. They outlined 39 categories of work that were prohibited on the Sabbath in painstaking detail. Now, over this same time period, during the decades after Jesus' death, Christians grew less and less connected to their Jewish roots. And the practice of Sabbath became more and more foreign to Christians. And I think that our New Testament canon, our book of Scripture, demonstrates our loss of connection with the Sabbath. In the four Gospels and the book of Acts, Sabbath is mentioned 37 times, often by Jesus himself. But in the rest of the New Testament, it's mentioned just twice. And so for Christians, I'd argue that over time, Sabbath has become vestigial like an appendage that we still carry around that once served purpose, but no longer does. A vestige of our ancient spiritual roots that we're not quite sure what to do with. Now, there have been Christian communities who tried to reclaim Sabbath as a core practice of our faith. Most notably, the Puritans who left England and migrated to this country did so in part because they felt that European Christians had become too lax in their practice of Sabbath, and they wanted to create a new kind of Christian community that practiced a disciplined Sabbath. Despite their best efforts, the last vestiges of Puritan Sabbath practices have all but disappeared in the 21st century. For instance, blue laws that once regulated businesses and other activities on Sundays are mostly a thing of the past. And so that 3,000-year survey of Sabbath history brings us to today. In today's church, I think we have some vague sense that the Sabbath is about going to church instead of work. But the truth is, I don't think we really know what Sabbath is. And so the time is now. The time is now for us to redefine what Sabbath means to us as Christians in the 21st century. And I'm ready to offer what I think are three key ingredients for our new understanding of Sabbath. First, Sabbath is more than just one day in a week. It is a rhythm to live by. It's a way of aligning our clocks and our calendars with the needs of our souls. Yes, Sabbath has traditionally been understood as one day of the week set aside for rest and for worship. Friday sundown to Saturday sundown for Jews, Sundays for Christians. Now, keeping a Sabbath day is still a good practice. But what about a Sabbath hour? or a Sabbath minute, or even a Sabbath breath? What if instead of waiting six days for the Sabbath to arrive, we made space in our calendars and our lives for Sabbath rhythms throughout the other six days of the week? For instance, these past few months, I've been trying out what I consider to be a Sabbath practice. It's something called the Pomodoro Technique. Uh, Lindsay's heard me talk a lot about it. Be happy to talk your ear about it, uh, off your, your ear about it later. But in short, it's a scheduled rhythm of work and rest 
where I take intentional breaks from my work every 45 minutes. Breaks for prayer or for a conversation with a friend. Breaks for a walk around Lower Shaker Lake or just to step away from my computer for a few minutes of quiet. The point is that Sabbath can be any block of time that we intentionally set aside to find rest and renewal. The second key ingredient in our modern Christian reformulation of Sabbath is that we can let go of all the Sabbath proscriptions and embrace more Sabbath prescriptions. A proscription is a prohibition, a restriction. And throughout Jewish and Christian history, Sabbath has sometimes become too proscriptive, in my opinion, too focused on a list of no-nos, more on the things that you can't do than on the things that you should be doing on Sabbath. And so I'd like to suggest that we embrace Sabbath prescriptions instead, activities that provide the deep rest and renewal that God invites us to find on the Sabbath. The third and final ingredient is this. Sabbath isn't a solo activity. Sabbath is done in relationship. Think back to the story of the Sabbath in the book of Jubilees. God didn't rest alone. God created the angels and the people so that they could share in Sabbath together. I believe that God intends Sabbath to be an opportunity for us to renew our relationships. Just consider the place of the Sabbath among the Ten Commandments. I know you all know which number it is, right? That's right. I got a couple people. I know that you are just answering on behalf of everybody else. It's number four, okay? Sabbath is the fourth commandment. The first three commandments, honor God, worship God and not idols, and don't use God's name in vain, those three commandments are all about our relationship with God, how we love God. And the final six commandments, honor your family, don't kill each other, don't cheat each other, don't steal from each other, don't lie to each other, don't be jealous of each other. Those last six commandments are all about our relationship with each other, how we love our neighbors. And so you could say that Sabbath, the fourth commandment, takes center stage, right in the middle of these two sets of commandment, that it's lifted up as a critical commandment that we must practice if we truly want to love God and neighbor. And so over the next six weeks, we'll be exploring six different Sabbath prescriptions. Three of them are prescriptions for how we renew our relationship with God. Sabbath as rest, Sabbath as gratitude, and Sabbath as studying and dwelling in God's word. And we'll also explore three Sabbath prescriptions that are aimed at renewing our relationships with each other. Sabbath as justice, Sabbath as eating together, and Sabbath as healing. Now, we, the pastors, don't mean to suggest that these are the only prescriptions to find rest and renewal, but we believe that these are six core Sabbath practices that God offers us to renew our relationships with God and each other. So this fall, let's lean into 
our relationships. Understanding that Sabbath as an invitation to renew and rekindle our connections. Let's dare to believe that Sabbath can happen anywhere, at any moment, on any day of the week, if we open up space for it in our hearts and in our calendars. And let's get our Sabbath prescriptions filled, practicing ways of renewing our connection with God and with each other. This I deliver to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.